Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. Merry Christmas. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 today, if you could. Today we're talking about Joseph, the forgotten character in the Christmas story. Men, do you ever feel forgotten? (laughs) It was cool to see those guys up here this morning, wasn't it? But I was told there was going to be a butane torch in the mix. I didn't see any flamethrower up here. I think they chickened out a little bit. Um, There aren't that many Christmas sermons for men, are there? A lot of times we gear the Christmas story towards kids We gear the Christmas story towards family. Maybe we gear the Christmas story towards people who are checking out church and maybe seeking what this whole season is about. But there aren't that many Christmas sermons delivered for men. Well, men, here it is. We're going to be talking about manhood today. We're going to be talking about what it is to be a man. Because in our modern day, in our culture, in our society, there's a war on manhood. It's not appropriate to be a man today. It's not appropriate to be a strong, authoritative leader figure as a male today. Society would prefer that We would neuter masculinity and just want you to be gentle and kind and don't cause a rift. Just kind of stay in the background. Be be a Joseph in the Christmas story. You're just kind of an invested bystander back there. Well, men, this sermon is for you today. What does it mean to be a man? In a nutshell, it means to take responsibility. Women, here's why a sermon on manhood at Christmas time is important for you. Maybe you have a man in your life. Maybe you're raising a son. Maybe you grew up with a dad, a father figure. Maybe you work with men. You live in a society with men. What would our church be like if men engaged wholeheartedly? What we just saw up front. What would society be like if men actually engaged and stop disengaging? What if there were no absent fathers? What if men stood up and took responsibility? Is that what we all want? Matthew chapter 1. Let's start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Do you join me in prayer as we dig in today? God, thank you that you created mankind in your image. Male and female, you created them. You created woman out of the rib of Adam. You brought her to the man. God, thank you for the difference we can see in males and females and how you created us, where we can find our identity in, in how you formed us and created us. God, I pray that first of all, as men and women, we would find our identity as children of God, that we would find our identity in the saving blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you'd help us to grasp a sense of our masculinity today, that we would step up and take responsibility as men. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts today as we look at this guy. In Jesus' name, amen. Poor Joseph, he gets overlooked, doesn't he? The ways we celebrate Christmas these days, Joseph's just kind of in the background, isn't he? You don't say Joseph and Mary. That's weird, right? You say Mary and Joseph. In your nativity set, where's Joseph? He's typically kind of in the background, right? You've got this little porcelain version of the mother Mary holding baby Jesus, presenting him with pride and love in her heart, and those shepherds are crowded in. Where's Joseph? He's typically, at least in my nativity sets, he's standing in the background, and what's he doing? He's, he's holding a staff because he doesn't want to feel totally useless, right? So you put a tool in your hand. I remember my great-grandfather would never use a cane, never, ever, ever, but he would hold a shovel. He'd hold a rake because it was a tool, right? So you're not, you're not giving in. Nobody sings, Joseph, did you know? that Mary's pregnant and the baby, he isn't yours. Do, do we have any songs about Joseph in Christmas? Dads, is that kind of how you felt presenting your child for the first time? Do you remember that? Yeah, she was in labor for 32 hours, but I played a part in it, right? Do you remember that? I think it was a Dairy Queen commercial with the ice cream cake and the mom and dad are fighting at who carries it into the birthday party and the mom wins and she carries it in and the dad comes in behind and he says, I got the forks. It's like, nobody cares, dad. You're going to go to the grandparents' place for Christmas, likely, right? And you're going to show up, mom and dad, and the grandparents are going to say, where's the grandkids at? And you're just going to be the poor sucker carrying all the luggage and all the gifts that nobody really needs, but you had to expend all the funds to buy and, and nobody really cares, Dad, because the grandkids are here and the focus is on them. You're just kind of facilitating. Reading the Christmas story again, I was struck by the image of Joseph as this just kind of 
invested bystander. What's, what's his involvement in the Christmas story? Does he even have to be there? He's the, the side sitter. He's just the guy in the background holding the staff. Mary's pregnant. She's riding the donkey. Joseph is walking alongside. They probably didn't actually have a donkey for this young, poor couple. Joseph, he's not just a stranger in the background, of course. He plays a role in this. He's got some skin in the game. He's invested somewhat. So that's what we're going to talk about. Look at verse 18, back to that first verse we read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Can I just take this moment to ask a leading question? Why would God do it in this way? Why, why did the birth of Jesus Christ take place in this way? Obviously, there's infinite planning involved that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts, and we can't fathom the redemptive plan of God and all that's involved in its intricacies. Were Joseph's feelings taken into consideration? Were his hopes and dreams? God is severely intentional in the way in which the birth of Jesus Christ took place. Look at the rest of verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is the virgin birth that we sing about, we read about, we reference. Steve talked about it last Sunday in the sermon time as the miracle of Christmas that we've become so familiar with. I keep thinking about that Bonhoeffer quote about how theology is to preserve the wonder of God and his miracles, including the virgin birth. We know the virgin birth. The Holy Spirit is referenced numerous times throughout the Christmas story. The virgin birth is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it time and time again. Mary, the virgin, is the conduit through which the sinless Son of God entered the human race. It's critical to our theology, to our belief. And then there's Joseph. I got the forks. Now, I don't want to assume, I don't want to speculate as to whether or not anyone in this room, anyone participating online, has ever been in a situation similar to this. But can you just imagine with me? Your fiancé, the girl that you asked, will you, who said yes, who you presented the ring to, I lit a hundred candles in a treehouse and invited Elsie to come and that's where I asked her to marry me and almost burned the place down. <laughs> and I thought the treehouse was locked. It was like a family treehouse. So her grandparents lived next door to where her parents are and I had to go knock on their door and say, is there a key to this thing? I can't get in. And, and Paca, her grandfather explained, no, it's probably just frozen. You got to pull it harder. And he gave me a flashlight and I kind of had to explain what I was doing because it was weird. But she said yes. And then there's all the planning involved, right, for the big day. Isn't it interesting how, how couples who are engaged put all of this planning into a one-day event and maybe not as much consideration into the rest of their married lives? But there's all this planning that goes in and the bridesmaids are contacted and there was a photographer there and it's all shared around social media and 
there's a wedding dress, there's uh, booking the, the church building, there's booking the reception hall, there's all of this planning. The invitations have been sent out, people are responding, you've got your gift registry at Bed Bath & Beyond, but nobody actually buys from a gift registry, it's just like a tradition that we have to do, but nobody actually pays attention to it. And, and all these things have been done, and then Mary comes to Joseph. I'm pregnant, and the baby's not yours. That's the closest I can come to setting up Joseph's situation in our modern context. How would that feel? It would have been a lot more invested for him. It would have been a lot more than losing a few deposits and having some angry family members having to take a friend on your honeymoon trip that you already had booked. The Jewish betrothal period seemed to be far more meaningful and traditional, more than a modern proposal. Families were really involved. There was a great deal of preparations, not just for the wedding, which would have been multiple days of feasting and celebrating, and everybody would have been invited, but also there's a lot of planning for their married future. Joseph, Mary, the families, they would have been discussing generational family living situations, generational occupations, well-documented family lineage, the names that meant so much that we talked about two weeks ago. And this is in a shame and honor society, a shame and honor culture, where your reputation was everything. There was a lot more at stake in this day. And on top of that, Mary tries to justify the pregnancy to Joseph. She tries to explain. Do you think Joseph heard any of that? Do you think Joseph heard anything beyond, I'm pregnant? Joseph's mind is, is racing. Yeah, we're familiar with the virgin birth now, but Joseph would have only known it as a prophecy 700 years earlier. Are you serious, Mary? You're going to play that card? You want to know what Joseph's thinking at this point? Scripture tells us, verse 19. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, the church traditionally has harped about divorce for years. And we know what the Bible says about divorce. God hates divorce. If you've been through it, you probably hate divorce too. You probably don't need to hear a preacher beat you over the head about divorce and marriage. Relationships are difficult. Marriage is hard. Life can be broken. Life can be messy. Have you realized that yet? Joseph, he's a good guy. A just man, the verse says. That means he did his best to be faithful to the law, to do what's right. He didn't want to shame his wife. There were severe consequences in this day for being pregnant out of wedlock, especially when you're betrothed to a man. Mary could have been killed according to the law. Joseph didn't want to see that happen. So he made a plan. Guys, you ever make a plan? He resolved, he chose, he planned to divorce her quietly. Try not to ruffle as few feathers as possible and just, just do it quietly. Let's be honest, Joseph is a real person. He's not perfect. 
He broke the law just like Romans 3.23 says that we've all broken the law. Don't you think he battled with stress and anxiety in his mind? Don't you think he, he worried? He didn't want to shame Mary, but his reputation is also at stake here. If he divorces her quietly, it might be in his own best interest. Because if he chooses to take her as his wife, then he's stepping into this situation more fully and fully committing. And then people are going to view it as, what's the matter, Joseph? Are you, you hanging up your masculinity? Is there nothing you can do about it? You're just going to go along with this? Have you heard the modern trend of quiet quitting? Quiet quitting refers to doing the minimal requirements of one's job, putting in no more time, no more effort, no more enthusiasm than is absolutely necessary. Here's what it sounds like. Minimum wage job, minimum effort. I'm just going to give the absolute bare minimum. Maybe it turned out like this. You know what? This job, this agreement, this relationship, this situation, it didn't quite turn out the way I wanted to. It's not really matching up with my hopes and expectations and dreams for the future. So I'm just going to kind of, just going to kind of, I was, in my study time, I was trying to think of what's that called when you just like cast it in halfway? Is there a term for that? I was asking Elsie and she couldn't think of the catchphrase I was talking about. Dial it in. Mailing it in. There it is. Mailing it in. I'm just going to come in, just going to give it 50%. All I need is a passing grade. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to mail it in. It's too complicated. It's, it's too difficult. So I just want to disengage quietly. I'm not interested in putting any more effort in. So I'm just going to step off into the shadows. It's just too difficult, too complicated. I don't want to lose any of my social currency. I don't want to lose any of my reputational values. So I don't want to like make it official, make a big announcement. I'm just going just to make this quiet and disengage and disinvest and just step away and just mail it in. Think about it. You're young, you're starting out, you're excited, you're energetic. The world is your oyster, whatever that means. Does anybody know what that means? I have no idea what that means. I remember when Elsie and I first got married, we were young, we were serving in the church um, four to five nights a week, we were on staff, Elsie was at the Christian school, we were going, 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 we had all this energy and enthusiasm. I remember when I was the youngest guy in the room. I'm still one of the younger guys in the room, but I'm no longer the youngest guy in a number of different rooms. And I remember sitting, hearing these older pastors talk about ministry. And talk about how it can be difficult and talk about the problems and talk about the issues and try and encourage one another in it to keep going and keep with the fight. And I'm sitting there with energy, enthusiasm and drive and dreams and thinking like, why don't you old guys get it? Where's the passion? Where's the excitement? Where's the ideas? Where's, where's the creativity? Why are we still talking about the same old, let's go, let's do this. And then life happens children happen and you start to lose some of that youth and energy and naivety thinking you know all the answers and everybody should just listen to you because you're the young pastor hot off the street and you got the answers and then you get some experience 
Maybe a little cynicism sets in. Maybe a little realism trumps your optimism. And maybe you think, you know what? Life is a lot more difficult and messy and hard and broken than my rose-colored glasses told me it was when I was a kid and everything was black and white, good and bad. Joseph. Men, have we quit on our responsibilities quietly? Has life proven to be harder than we anticipated? We're tempted to disengage and just be absent. Maybe mailing it in as a father, as a spouse, as an employee, just doing the bare minimum. Hey, I was there at the supper table. I was with my family spending time. Yeah, but you were absent. Your mind was elsewhere. Hey, I've been doing my job. I've been at this company for 20 years. I'm a faithful, hardworking employee. Well, really? Because you really haven't progressed in the last 15 years. You're just doing what you've always done. Joseph probably felt like the victim, didn't he? Hey, I'm a just man. Matthew said so. It's written in scripture. I'm the one who's right in this relationship. Why, why would I get the finger pointed at me? The victim of life. Is it my fault? Do I have a role to play in this or did this just happen to me? Will I ever love again? Will I ever trust again? Look at verse 20. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But as he considered these things, what are you considering right now? I guarantee your mind's not blank. Ladies, you know when you say to your husband, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. It never actually means nothing. Guys don't actually, comedians say this all the time, it's the butt end of jokes. Guys don't actually have that blank space in their mind that they can access where they're truly thinking about nothing. Do you know what it is? It's just disengagement. <laughs> oh, it's just stepping back and being absent, isn't it? We're always thinking about something. <laughs> it's easier to disengage, isn't it? That blank space in your mind where nothing's happening is a safe space. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. You know what? Sometimes I get my best thoughts at 3 a.m. Do you? Do you find that when your body shuts down for the night, your brain doesn't? And your mind just keeps going? Anybody else like that? Anybody have to keep their phone or a notepad next to the table, the nightstand, because in the middle of the night you have your best thoughts come to you and you've got to stop and write them down? Um, some of this sermon came from 4 a.m. on Thursday morning. So there you go. Your mind just swirls, doesn't it? The angel carrying God's message. Not necessarily Gabriel this time. We've been talking about Gabriel the last two weeks. This just simply says the angel of the Lord. But the mode is slightly different. The angel appears while Joseph is dreaming. God speaking through dreams is not necessarily a new thing in the Bible. Um, God's going to speak to Joseph in a dream following Jesus' birth about fleeing to Egypt to protect the child. So it's going to happen to Joseph again. But God spoke to Abraham in a dream. 
God spoke to Jacob in a dream as he's using a rock for a pillow. Do you remember that story? And there's like this ladder and the angels are ascending and descending. Ladies, have you noticed that sometimes men can just fall asleep anywhere? Rock is a pillow, right? It's like you're talking to him in his easy chair and then you turn and he's sound asleep. Um, his son, Jacob's son, Joseph, he interpreted dreams, right? This isn't the Joseph of the Christmas story. This is the Joseph in the Old Testament in Egypt in Genesis. Does God speak through dreams now? Can God speak through dreams now? Maybe that's an easier way to ask it. You remember what the angel said to Mary, with God, all things are possible. So it's really hard to be dogmatic and say, we're going to limit God to this box, isn't it? We've got to be really careful as leaders in the church of not limiting God's capacity because he's infinite. He can do it. He can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I, I want to point out a couple thoughts. We always need to start with what God has already said in his word. If we want to know what God is saying, we should really pay attention to what God has already said. And if we don't pay attention, if we're not familiar enough with what God has already said in his word, how can we determine if it's truly God who is impressing that thought, that word on our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit if we're not familiar with his word? So it needs to start with his word. Second thing I would point out is this. Maybe we're so busy and refusing to take the time to rest, time for Sabbath, time for that book of Psalms, Selah, time for meditation, time for quiet time, that there is no real time for the Holy Spirit to impress God's word onto our heart. Maybe we're so busy and God's trying to get our attention, but we're just too busy. We never slow down long enough. Joseph's sleeping, right? This is coming to him in a dream. Maybe that was the only time that his restless mind and his anxious body was still enough to hear the still small voice of God. We need to slow down. Are you busy this Christmas? <laughs> Maybe more than ever before. Look at how the angel refers to Joseph, the bystander in the story. Verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of who? Do you know which David this is? King David. Is there more than one David in the Bible? Is he the only David? It's definitely referring to King David. Okay, other than Joseph being a just man, this is really the only other information we get on the guy. We find out later that he's a carpenter, but... This is so critical to the story. This is significant. Joseph is part of King David's family tree. This is significant theologically, prophetically, in Jewish history. Look back at the start of the chapter. Look at verse 1. There's a genealogy of Jesus. Where does it track back to? There's two names in verse 1. Abraham and David. If you follow that genealogy, do you know who it traces back to Jesus through? Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Joseph is key in the story. Absolutely key. The Messiah is the root of Jesse, the son of David. 
And the genealogy goes back, Abraham, David, to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph is key to prophetic fulfillment. Do you think that the angel is like, hey, Joseph, you have a more important role in this story than you could possibly understand. You're not a victim. You're not a bystander. You're not the guy in the nativity set standing in the background holding the stick. You have a key role in this story. You're an important part of God's plan of prophetic fulfillment over hundreds, if not thousands of years. Look at the rest of verse 20. So, like the angel always says, do not fear. Guys, are we afraid to take responsibility? Is it easier to cash it in, come in at 50%, do the bare minimum, do this whole quiet quitting, absent, but there, but not really there kind of thing? Is that easier? Because we're afraid to step up and take responsibility? What it will mean for us, for our reputation, for our family? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Let me make a comparison. Okay, the angel is sent, brings God's message, gives direction, encourages Joseph to not be afraid, comforts Joseph. The Holy Spirit is sent to guide to illuminate scripture, to be our comforter, our paraclete, Jesus says, to come alongside, to guide us and comfort us in his truth. Do we need a messenger sent from God? Or has he already come? Do we already have the messenger who's been sent from God? Do we need peace about a situation? The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the guide. I love how the angel is stating this as fact. This will happen. You shall. He will. Who names Jesus? Here it says Joseph. Over in Luke chapter 1, it says Mary. Parents have a combined role in raising children, don't they? Joseph is told to name him Jesus. Parenting is a collaborative effort. The father and the mother both play an important role in raising the child. Joseph's not just some guy who's called to stand in the background and hold a stick. He's called to engage. Name your son. Name him Jesus. But Joseph isn't the natural father here, is he? Is it his son? Not naturally. Not by conception. So what the angel is telling him to do is to choose his role as Jesus' earthly adoptive father. The angel is saying, you need to make a choice. You need to name your son. We've already referenced and we talked at length two weeks ago how names meant something. God says, don't take my name in vain. Names mean something. The angel tells Joseph to name his son. The name had so much identity wrapped in it. The angel is telling Joseph, you are to pass on an identity to your son. And that identity has to do with your lineage. It has to do with prophecy. It has to do with theology. But practically, it has to do with your choice to take responsibility 
for your son. Name him Jesus. Look at verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The events surrounding Jesus' birth fulfill multiple prophecies. Matthew alone, the book of Matthew, points out about 12 different times it says this prophecy has been fulfilled. And and he specifically points to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, about 700 years before the birth of Christ, which is incredible. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. When Joseph woke from sleep, I don't want to overplay this, but guys, maybe some of us are sleeping. Maybe some of us need to wake up to our roles as a man. Maybe some of us need to get up, step up, take some responsibility in the relationships that we have here and now that God has gifted us and blessed us with. Maybe in the difficulty and the brokenness, the busyness, the mess of life, we've disengaged, we're absent, we're unavailable, we've quiet quit because life has proven more difficult. We love easy, don't we? But the thing is, easy never works. Fitness, nutrition, relationships, education, anything, you put anything in that blank, if you try and go the easy road, it's going to fail you. God doesn't often restrict his work to our little comfortable box. Following God's call is stretching. It's uncomfortable. It can be difficult and awkward. It can challenge our understanding of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a child of God. God's message to Joseph is to engage. Engagement is one of our core values. It's great if we feel a sense of community and if we believe a truth, but if we're not acting on it, if we're not doing something about it, if we're not engaging in the mission that Jesus has called us to as men, then we're not fulfilling our purpose. And it's not always easy. God's message to Joseph is to engage. Joseph wakes up. He does what God commanded him to do. He took Mary as his wife. He named Jesus as his son. It wasn't easy explaining the situation to friends and family, maybe the nosy neighbors next door, was not easy. It was difficult. It was hard on his reputation, but he did it. The shame, the ridicule, it was rough, but he did it. He followed God's command. Joseph thought his marriage was done before it ever began. He thought his reputation would be muddied. He thought divorce was the only answer. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking divorce is the only answer. Quitting is the only answer. Giving up, throwing in the towel, is the only answer. But actually, God was calling him to his greatest purpose and to his place in the redemptive story. The do not be afraid from the angel was warranted. This wasn't easy at all. But it's through the toughest situation 
in Joseph's life that he would likely ever experience. I don't think he was alive for the death of his son on the cross. This is likely the toughest thing Joseph ever had to face in his life. And he stepped up and he engaged because God commanded him to do so. And by faith, he took Mary, he named Jesus, and he played his role in the infinite redemptive story of God for all mankind. Because he chose to step into his purpose. You know where Joseph found his purpose? In the toughest season of his life. Men, maybe you're sitting in a tough season and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I just want out. I'm just going to come in, just going to mail it in, just going to give 50%, just going to do what I need to get done and get through it, grip my teeth, bear it, because that's what men do. We just rub dirt in it. We don't expect it to get any better. We just make it through and then make all the stories seem crazier when we're older and we're telling our grandkids. What if your purpose and your place in God's redemptive story, your engagement in the mission took place in that hard, difficult thing? Could it be that that thing that you're praying against, that you thought the enemy brought into your life, that you want out of so bad because it's so hard and God, this could not be from you because it's just difficult and it's not nice and it's not easy and it's uncomfortable and it's stretching me. What if it was that thing that God would use to produce the greatest joy and blessing in your life and call you into the greatest purpose? See, I would add to the definition of being a man. It's not just stepping up and taking responsibility. It's taking responsibility even though it's hard, even though it's difficult. When times are tough, we need men to step up and take responsibility. Man, I praise God for women. I think at least half the churches, physical, local church locations around the Maritimes would not be here unless women stood up in the absence of men and taught the Sunday school classes and led the music and served on all the committees and kept the facility operating. If women had not have stepped up in the absence of men over the last 50 years, I think the local church would not be as well off today as it is because of the grace of God shown through women over the years. Guys, shame on us for letting that be the case. We need to step up into our roles, take responsibility, even though times are tough, even though it might be awkward and challenge our manhood, we need to step up and take responsibility. Joseph stepped into this tough situation. He played his role in the redemptive story of mankind. What would have happened if Joseph said, no, I'm going to divorce her quietly? He would have missed his place. The redemptive story still would have unfolded. God could have made it happen without Joseph. God doesn't need Joseph. God doesn't need you. But he chooses to use us in his redemptive story. If Joseph had stepped out quietly, he would have lost his place in the redemptive story of mankind that we celebrate every Christmas because Joseph played an important role. Guys, I want to call you to that role today. We're going to invite the band back up. There's an opportunity to respond as we've been providing every Sunday. We're going to enjoy cafe after the service. I bet you've got umpteen things on your plate in this Christmas season that you can go and do right now. But guys, I don't want you to miss this opportunity to respond.
I believe the story of Joseph is an example set for us that in the midst of a hard, difficult, confusing situation, when God tells us to step up and take responsibility and serve our role in his mission and his story and to engage, then we need to respond. We need to engage. We're going to have some folks up here who are willing and ready to pray with you. Guys, if you want to talk further about what it is to be a man, some of these people up here who are willing to pray have been focusing on that very subject this fall and would love to talk to you about that. So I would encourage you, as we sing this closing song, you have an opportunity to respond. You have an opportunity to step up and take responsibility. If you've been absent, if you've been disengaged, if you've been mailing it in, this is your opportunity to step up and make this Christmas count for the sake of the gospel, for your family, for our society, for our church. The responsibility is yours, man. So I want to call you to it. Can I just close in a word of prayer? As we sing this song, I would encourage you to do that. Would you stand with me as we close? God, I thank you for Joseph, for Mary, for your redemptive plan. God, thank you that Joseph did not give in to his fleshly desires to step out when times get tough. God, thank you for giving him the faith to step in at your command. God, you've commanded us as men to be leaders in our home, to be the first to serve, the first to submit, the first to show humility, to show meekness, to show that we can control our strength, but to show that we can step up and stand for you and be not ashamed of the gospel when you call us to do so. God, we are not ashamed. We want to claim our responsibility as men in your redemptive story. God, we thank you for the examples you set for us in scripture. By your grace and through faith, would you give us the confidence to live as you have outlined for us to do so. Help us to follow your example, Jesus. Help us to take up our cross daily and die to ourselves so that we can follow you and serve our family, serve our local church, serve our employer, serve all the different roles that we get to serve in and be Jesus' hands and feet to the least of these. God, thank you for what it means to be a man today. Thank you for the women in our church. Thank you for families. Thank you for kids who are deciding and learning and experiencing what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman of God. God, I pray that we would not fail them in our duty to pass on that torch and show them what it means to be a man of God, a woman of God, this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.